What's going on, everyone? It's your boy, DJ TLM, and you're tuned into the Share the Knowledge podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Banzoogle. I'll tell you more about Banzoogle later on in the episode. Now, this is going to be a total Q&A edition. I asked on Instagram, like I usually do, if you have any DJ-related questions. And I have a bunch of questions. I want to get straight into the questions. Now, if you're new to Share the Knowledge, this is my podcast for DJs. Mostly a Q&A show, but I also like to talk about topics that I just have on my mind mostly DJ related and in this case like I said it's going to be a total Q&A edition a uh, quick shout out this is not a sponsor but this is a local brand from Amsterdam called Mocha Made uh, big shout out to you represent the 020 like I do triple x all day bang now the first question up in here is how's it going I'm trying to clean up my library do you know all your music that you have downloaded over the years or do you delete songs that you won't be using in the future I can clearly say that when it came to downloading I downloaded a bunch of stuff that I didn't really like now if I downloaded something like an album from an artist that I didn't know or just a new release from an artist and I listened to the album and I just didn't like it, most likely I would just delete it. Now, it would have to be like extremely bad. If it's like, okay, I'll probably hang on to it to give it a listen later on. But the danger nowadays, or at least for the last 10 years, with downloading is you download so much that a lot of times you don't even get around to giving an album a second listen if you didn't really like it the first time. See, that was different when you were buying vinyl I would go to the store, you walk into the store, you check out the new releases, you ask people behind the counter, can I listen to that one? Can I listen to the new whatever, DMX? Can I, uh, can I get some of the new releases that you just got in? They would hand you a stack of records, you grab the record, put it on a turntable, you start to listen, and you go through it in the store, and it could be a hit or a miss, or a maybe. Now, if it's a hit, meaning that I like the track, that's going with me. If I don't like it, I'm putting it back. Now, the maybe is going to maintain a maybe until I get to the end of my listening session. Now, if at the end, I only have a couple of sure shots, then I might have enough room in my budget to also take the maybe. If I already have a bunch of bangers there, I'm spending a lot of money that day, then most likely that maybe is not coming with me. But that was an easier way to maintain a collection that consisted of music that you actually wanted. When it came to downloading, and especially when it was really easily available, you just see titles and you start clicking away. And you end up with a lot of music that you might not actually like. Now in my case, I have a music collection of course, I have my vinyl collection, I have a CD collection, I have my digital collection. And within that collection, there's a lot of music that I will never use when I DJ. But that doesn't mean that I'm not using it. I'm still using that music as a consumer and I can listen to it. Having said what I just said, I also have to acknowledge the fact that it's been quite a while since I dug into my digital collection of music due to the fact that I'm subscribed to multiple streaming services. 
And I've noticed myself that it's not really necessary for me to go into my collection because a lot of the music that I have in my collection is also available from the streaming services. Now, definitely not everything. We're talking about a lot of 12 inches that had that B-side with that special remix and stuff like that. A lot of that is not online, but a lot of music definitely is. So we're talking about my favorite period of time and hip hop in this case. And we're talking about that golden era. A lot of the music from that era is right here on Spotify. Probably also on Tidal, but I use Spotify more than Tidal, I must admit, but I have a subscription for both. And I have a giant playlist on Spotify. You can actually check that out. Uh, Consists of a lot of music from my favorite era of hip hop. So I don't have to go into my collection. Now, does that mean that I'm just going to delete that digital collection? Of course not. I have it on external drives. I can just keep that. But when it comes to cleaning up your library, then you're talking about the music that you actually use to DJ. I'm trying to get rid of a lot of stuff that I initially added to it. But I know just from experience, because I've had some tracks in there for 10 or 15 years and I never used them that I might as well take them out of that collection. So out of the library, my DJ library, I can still keep it in my digital collection on a hard drive at home. There's no need for you to bring all of your music in your library to DJ with. So yeah, I definitely delete songs uh, that I won't be using in the future because I can tell that I haven't used them in years. There's no need for me to bring them. And if ever, I run into a situation where I'm at a party and I really want to play a track that I've never played or haven't played in ages and I don't have it, maybe I'll add it back to the library after that. Next up, oh, same person. Uh, I'm also still trying to figure out how I want my crates set up in Serato to be comfortable as possible when I need to mix fast. Well, that's going to be personal preference. Everyone has a different way to set up their uh, library, their playlists, uh, if you're using Rekordbox or just your folders in Traktor or Serato or whatever DJ software you use. Some go as far as to really divide it by genre, year, BPM. You can do all sorts of things. Uh, I struggle with it. I still struggle with it. I've tried all sorts of things. Now, of course, I do have different genres. That's the first uh, divide. I will split it up into genres. And in certain cases, if it's really obvious, then you can or I can and have split it up into decades. I never went as far as to go by years, but I do have like some 90s and some zeros or some 70s and 80s. But Beyond that, I don't do a lot when it comes to actually making specific crates or specific playlists, but I do play around with it. I also like to play around with the smart playlist, the smart crates, where you can just have a couple of parameters that you fill in. You want it to be this genre between this and that BPM, and then it'll take everything from your collection that fits that description and place it in that crate. There's a lot of ways you can go about this, but it all depends on what you prefer. Do you mix by BPM? Are you really focused on years, genres? I can't really tell. I can explain. You have to uh, find your perfect solution for that. 
Then I have a question from Jay, and the question is, what's the best way to prepare an hour set? I'm an open format DJ, and I rely heavily on the crowd to dictate where I can take my music selection. Recently, I had a two-hour set, and I found difficulty constructing a crate. I ended up gathering about an hour of music to initially throw at them and use that to prepare or to decide what I played the last hour. Is it possible in a one-hour set, and how do you prepare? I do have dozens of mini mixes you talk about in all styles of music, but I don't want an hour of six 10-minute mixes on all genres. No, that's definitely not what you want to do. And when I talk about the mini mixes that you sh- not should, that you could have prepared, those are more for a specific situation. So for instance, if you're mentally blocked for a second so you don't know what to play next what direction to take it or you just don't have the vibe for a second then it's cool to be able to fall back on a short prepared mix that you already know you just grab it it's already in the right order you play those tracks those couple of tracks for a couple of minutes and that buys you a little time to either get your vibe your rhythm back uh maybe even get the crowd back or at least gives you time to think about your next move it's never my intention to make you prepare a lot of short mixes and use all those mixes as an actual set that's just like a plan b something you can fall back on or if you're a beginner dj you're not that used to playing in front of people yet if you have your first four tracks prepared and practice so you know how that works then you can start your set a little bit more comfortable instead of just going at it freestyle those should be short by the way because if you're playing a prepared mix and the crowd is not feeling it you don't want that prepared mix to last for a long time now listen when it comes to preparing our set i'm not the right person to speak because i play freestyle all the time so i don't prepare our sets either i played two spots this weekend and I didn't prepare anything for that. The only thing I did prepare is I knew what kind of party it was, what kind of theme they had, so what kind of music they were expecting. And I have a very good idea of what I have in my digital crates. That is as far as my preparation for those gigs went. Uh, Now, especially with open format, and like you say, you rely heavily on the crowd to dictate uh, where you take your music selection then you shouldn't be preparing your sets. Then you're going to play freestyle. You're going off that crowd. So like I said, as far as preparation, you should just know what kind of music you have with you. If you're playing open format, you probably want to have some more because you're going to have like multiple genres of music there. And that's basically it. You want to know your music, know what you have with you. Uh, If you work with cue points and stuff like that, you want to have that prepared. And then it's up to the crowd you play and you watch the crowd's reaction you read the crowd and you go off that just like you mentioned so there's not much more preparation that goes into that that's just coming from me because i play freestyle if you have a totally different opinion about this or if you always prepare your sets uh let us know in the comment section down below join that conversation all right then there is not really a question this is more of a request because it just says record box tutorial Now, if that is a request or a question, you could have stated that in a little bit of a more friendly manner, but I can't say that that is in the works, so you can expect that later. Next up, I play a lot of urban and Latin genres. 
How long do you suggest to keep a certain BPM or genre going before you switch the genre or drop a whole different BPM like trap, hip-hop beat at 75 BPM after playing an X amount of minutes of Mumbaton? Now, I can't answer this. There is no formula. I cannot tell you you play this for 10 minutes, then you switch the BPM, you go up 10 and you play that for 10 minutes, then you do 50 minutes of this. Nah, that's not how it works. That's not how DJing works. So especially if you're not playing a prepared set and you're going off the crowd's reaction, that is what you're going off. If you're playing in front of people and you play all sorts of styles or all sorts of genres, so let's say I just started to play a little bit of dancehall, and I can see that they're really feeling it. That means that I'll probably be playing that for a longer period of time. Now, I'll give you an example. I played at a gig on Saturday, and the theme of that stage where I was, it was at a festival. They had multiple stages. The stage I was playing at was a stage that was just focused on throwback, so 90s and early zeros, hip-hop and R&B. With that, you can also always play a bit of dancehall because we played dancehall at all the hip-hop and R&B parties, especially back in the days, and they really like that sound now. So hip-hop and R&B is my main focus, but I definitely had a part in there where I was playing dancehall. Now, they really feel that dancehall. They were really feeling it. So I decided to play a little bit longer, but I ended up still switching back to hip hop and R&B because that was the main theme, but I could have even played it longer. If it wasn't a specific theme and I could just do anything, I would probably play dancehall twice as long as I actually played it. There's no rule book for this if you're playing freestyle. You might have a night where you have a crowd that consists of like 80% people that really, really prefer R&B. And why would you just play 10 minutes and then switch it up because you feel you should when you can obviously tell that that specific crowd is really into that? If I'm playing and I can tell like, hey, this is working a lot better than that, I'll probably still switch it up a couple of times because I want to play a variety of music, but I already know I'm bringing it right back to R&B. I'm giving them a larger percentage of R&B than other styles because I can tell that that's what they're into. So no, there's no way for me to tell you or suggest to you how long you should play a certain BPM or a certain genre. That is not how DJing works. You need to go off that crowd, watch their reaction, and let that guide you. Kit90 asks, was there ever a point where the constant DJ grind, late nights, early mornings, had a negative effect on your priorities, such as family? Now, look, finding the balance is always a tricky thing. And I would say the most important thing to do is to keep your eyes and ears open. And what I mean by that is you want to make sure that you're paying full attention to your family and notice any signals. If you're spending a lot of time on your grind and this could be in any career field not just djing you could be starting a business or just you want to get up uh to a higher position at the work that you do uh at the office whatever you do and you're spending a lot of time a lot of extra hours you need to pay attention to signals from the family so if it's obvious that they feel that you're not spending enough time with the fam then you need to adjust to make that right now i remember there was a time before we had our kids that I was spending a lot of my nights, like entire nights, just up 
working. So I'm talking about at home, behind the computer, looking for new tracks or organizing or uh, thinking about new mixes, designing new uh, mixtape covers, whatever, you name it. And at a certain point, my partner made it very clear to me that she felt that I was not there enough. I was in the house, but I was not there. And I knew she was right. Like, yeah, it's true. I am home. But at the end of the day, you're going to bed and I'm still behind that computer. And I'm staying there till five, six in the morning. And then I might jump into bed for a second. Uh, I have to change that. So pay attention to the signals. Now, with the kids, it's a totally different story, of course. And now it's definitely about sometimes having the late nights and the early hours and not just having a negative effect on the family, but just the fact that that can really cost you a lot of sleep if you don't watch out. I have to pay attention to myself as well. So I have to pay attention to what my body is telling me because I cannot at my age afford to be up until 5 every morning, then sleep for an hour and wake up because the kids have to go to school. That just doesn't work. That would just break me in a couple of uh, weeks. So I have to make sure that I'm planning everything the right way. I need to make sure I get enough sleep, that I pay attention to my nutrition, workout, (coughs) excuse me, need to make sure that I'm spending time with the fam and get my work done. So planning plays a big part in that. And sometimes there's going to be weeks that it's obvious that I need to really, really spend time, more time on work because I have to get certain things done. And during those weeks, there's going to be a lot of days where I don't get home before the kids go to bed. And in the morning, she might have to take them to school because I have to get those couple of hours of sleep. So they might see me less for a couple of weeks, but I make sure that it's not going to be more than a couple of weeks. And that I'm right back in the picture where I want to be. Not just for them, for me as well. I don't feel comfortable if I don't see my fam enough. So uh, it's a tricky one. You have to really pay attention. But uh, yeah, that's going to change over time, every time. It's n- you, you'll never find that perfect balance. It's going to be right for a certain amount of time. And then things, things change a bit again. Now my kids are young. Once they get older, they're going to be more independent. That might change again. Uh, we'll see. So this question is interesting. I don't know if I have an answer. The question is, what are some of your favorite songs to mix together? Right now, I can't really give you an example. There's so many songs that mix well together. And I'm not really one to have like favorite mixes that I like to perform all the times. I mean, I've noticed that when I play and I play, I play a certain genre, if I'm in that folder, a lot of times I might end up getting a couple of the same songs and mixing them together because I know they're going to fit sonically, BPM wise and whatnot. But I don't have like favorite go to mixes. So, no, I can't really give you an example. So I'm going to scroll down. This is a little bit longer, if I'm reading this right. So the question is, I just did my first wedding gig, and my first question is, is there a general rule of thumb when it comes to a wedding playlist and beat matching slash mixing? I noticed that my crowd was so diverse that I was jumping from different genres and styles a lot. And it was difficult to actually mix and blend my songs. The second problem I ran into was the bride told me she did not like country music, but she also told me to read the crowd. So I got a request for some country and looked around to see if there were a few people around that would dance to it. So I played it and I played two more country songs and the dance floor was packed. 
At that point, a friend of the bride came to me and said, Hey, the bride said she told you not to play country. Can you play some rock and roll? My question is, do you sacrifice, do I sacrifice my dance floor and guests to please the client? All right, let me start with the second question first. Yes, yes, the client, 100% the client. You will sacrifice that dance floor and that crowd for the client. This is a wedding. There are two people that are important during that wedding ceremony, after party, you name it. And the bride is one of those two people. So if they have a certain request or if they give you a certain no. So for instance, in this case, the bride told you no country. That means no country. Doesn't matter if the entire crowd is asking for it. Now, wedding DJs, if you're watching this and if I'm dead wrong, please let me know. Please let me know. I don't do weddings. I've only played at three weddings in my life and those were all at the request of the couple because they grew up going to parties where I played at and they wanted me to do what I do at parties. That's the only reason I accept it because like you said, weddings aren't that easy. That's a different style of DJing and it's not what I prefer to do. But in that case, I did do the party and I got to play exactly the type of music I like to play. But the bride, that's, that's the client right there. You're at their party. It's for them. That's their special day. So if she doesn't like country and she told you no country, she can tell you afterwards she wants you to read the crowd and that still counts. But reading the crowd to see what they like and no country are two things that go together. You can read that crowd and play all sorts of music and see what they like except for country because that is something she did not want to hear. It was hard for you to mix all sorts of styles because it went all over. And yes, I can imagine that happening at weddings because your crowd is going to be diverse. You're probably going to have everyone there from grandma to grandpa to the grandchildren. So you're going to have all sorts of ages. You're going to have family from both sides. Those could be uh, totally different people uh, who like different types of music. Sometimes there's going to be cultural things attached. So one side of the family might be into something that is from their culture and all of a sudden you're playing Indian and Mexican music and then you're playing pop songs and uh, now some electronic music. Yes, that could probably all happen. Um, in that case, it's going to be really hard to mix everything. So I probably, if I had to guess, I think a lot of wedding DJs in that case will use the microphone as a great segue to go from genre to genre and address that crowd instead of doing a mix and just call out the crowd and then start a new song from a different genre, different BPM. Uh, again, wedding DJs, if you're listening or watching, let us know in the comment section down below. This is interesting, uh, how you actually deal with playing all those genres and BPM styles uh, at one party. All right, this is a question about battling. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. Banzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. You can choose from hundreds of mobile-friendly themes and then customize your design and content in a few clicks with Banzoogle's easy visual editor. Now, all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, and integration to pull in content from all your online services, including Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. I use Banzoogle 
Google to create the Share the Knowledge podcast website, and that was very easy. Banzoogle plans start at just $8.29 a month and include your own free custom domain name. Now, if you want to try it out for free for 30 days, click on the link in the description box down below and be sure to use the promo code SHARE to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. DJ TLM, you mentioned that you made it to second place in the other main DJ battle in the Netherlands, turntableized battles. Yes. I'd be interested to hear more about your experience. Is there any video footage? Yes. Are you still interested in competing? Yes or no? Why not? Too much work to prepare, etc. Unfortunately, I have a daytime job and the only time I find to compete is in your Saturday Super Session. All right. Um, let's take it back. So, like I said, uh, yeah, I became uh, I came in second at Turntableized. Turntableized was a DJ battle that was organized for a couple of years here in the Netherlands. We had DMC and then you had Turntableized. I competed in Turntableized, I think, in 97, 98, and maybe 99 as well. I'm not sure. No, I think 97, 98. And first time I didn't make it that far. Second time I was second place and I shared that second place with my homie DJ DNS. And we both got our asses handed to us by uh, DJ Kipsky. Shout out Kipsky. He was, uh, he was like our Qbert here in the Netherlands. He was just miles ahead of the rest, and he won that for like uh, three straight years until he wasn't allowed to compete in that battle anymore. But um, I really enjoyed the experience. This was during a time that I was really working on my turntablism skills. It was starting to get more popular in the Netherlands. We were starting to get access to more footage. Of course, there were DMC battles, and there was some footage going around, floating around. Some people had some VHS tapes. But I think around 96, 97, well, in 96, when Fat Beats came to Amsterdam, the record store, we started to get access to a little bit more footage. They had videotapes, uh, some turntablism tapes, and ITF also came around, the International Turntablism Federation, and we started to get more and more footage, and we started to see all footage of uh, uh, not just Q-Bird and Mixmaster Mike and Apollo, but also uh, the Beat Junkies and the Executioners, and those were all like a big inspiration to the local turntablism scene here. I was learning all sorts of new techniques and the battles came around and that just seemed like a cool thing to do. Like, yeah, dope. And I met all of the turntablists that we had and I still meet those same people now when there's a turntablism event and most of them are still doing it. But um, yeah, it was interesting to compete. It was a great experience because that's that's probably one of my only experience with really preparing sets because I never competed after that. And I play freestyle when I DJ at clubs, so I don't prepare. But for those DJ battles, you really had to put together a routine. Going through that process was a great learning process as well. And really practicing that routine. So experiencing a DJ battle from start to finish, for me, was a great experience. Uh, it taught me more about performing a turntablism routine in front of people. Um, so overall, it was a great experience, but that experience also taught me that it's something that I'm not interested in right now. I still love turntablism, and I like to just play around 
at home. I add a little bit of turntablism to my club sets. Sometimes I might do a short short routine during a show with Brainpower, the MC I perform with. But so, for instance, we have Red Bull Freestyle now. And when I first saw it here, I actually thought about competing. And some people were asking me, are you going to do it? And at a certain point, I was like, yeah, that sounds dope. And then the last two years came around, and it was pretty obvious to me, like, <laughs> this is not going to work for me. Simply because I know the amount of time I would have to put into it. And right now, that time is already, um, I should have put it, priority-wise, that time is not going towards preparing for a DJ battle. I just can't do it. I have too many things going on right now that really need my attention. So the channel is one thing, DJ TLM TV on YouTube. Um, and I still see enormous potential there for growth. So I want to invest more time. That channel has already brought me a lot of new work. And I know if you're watching me on YouTube, you don't get to really see that. But I produce a lot of monthly content that does not go on my channel because I'm producing it for other companies. So there's some footage that you can see. So I do videos for DJ City every month. You can catch those on their channel. So those are the share the knowledge videos that I do for DJ City. Two a month. I do a series for Algorithm called Ask the DJ. You can catch that on their website, and that's there every time. Uh, I do content for another site called DJ Courses Online. I did a course once, and now I'm dropping monthly videos with extra uh, uh, tips and a little bit more advanced tips for DJs, so taking it a little bit beyond the basics. Um, I do stuff like that, so you don't catch that on my channel, but... I'm building or I'm working on a lot of things I'm building and I have so much stuff that I have planned that I'm working towards. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking long term, not just short term, uh, that I don't see room for a DJ battle just because I know how much work it takes to prepare a proper set, especially for someone like me who hasn't prepared a set in 20 years. That's crazy. Now, that's not totally true. I did do a couple of those uh, video mixes that you might have seen on YouTube. So I did my These Are The Breaks mixes. I did an LL Cool J mix and a couple of those. I had to prepare those, my Gangstar mix, for instance. But still, that's just preparing a mix, a short mix. Preparing a turntablism routine is definitely a step beyond preparing a short mix. But I know it's going to take me a lot of time to really prepare a good set. And right now, that is just too low on my priority list to, to, to commit to something like that. All right, Devante has a question and it starts with a little story and it is, I've had my first club gig a couple of weeks ago and everything went well. Since then, I've been offered other shows and even the possibility of spinning at a couple of small festivals. My question isn't too much about DJ technique, but more about the interactions with the other DJs in my area. Egos are definitely coming into the picture. Most DJs have been accepting of the new guy, but there are definitely ones who I think feel threatened. It is definitely not my personality to cause drama or step on any other toes, 
But when management puts me in better time slots or better gigs than some who have been in the business much longer, I can almost feel the tension in the air. Even some established DJs have used their clout to take the vibe and dance floor I created. Demand to go back to back and then train wreck the vibe. My questions are how to deal with those egos, protect my brand, and keep getting more shows while avoiding pissing people off. Any advice on that front? First off, I don't think you should be spending any time or any attention on not pissing people off. Now, the reason why I say this is this is not you disrespecting someone. If that was the case, then I would say, hey, you want to watch the way you handle yourself and how you approach people, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the case. We're talking about people who are butthurt because you're getting a better time slot. Now, I haven't seen or heard you play. I don't know the story behind it, but it seems like you're just getting a good spot because the people like what you do. So you're earning your stripes. And yes, maybe it it's going a little bit faster than it goes for some of these other DJs. That might be because you're just a better DJ. That might also be because maybe you're just a better talker, a better networker. Any of those things could be happening. So look, there's always going to be those threatened DJs. You have them. They feel secure in their spot. They've been at that club for years. Uh, they have a relationship with the owner. That's their spot. They feel content. And most of the times what happens with DJs like that is they get complacent, meaning they feel so comfortable in their place that they're not paying attention to trying to make sure that they stay on point. So maybe over time they get lazy. They're still playing the same tracks. They're not really paying attention to the crowd. Uh, anything could be the case because, I mean, styles change, crowds change. That happens. Um so it could be that you're just the, 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 the new blood, the new sound, and they see that that works. And then that old DJ or the DJ that was already there can feel that, hey, my comfortable surroundings are crumbling down. So, yes, they're going to feel threatened, but that's not your problem. That's their problem. Now, like you said, you're also talking about DJs using their clout and demanding to go back to back. Um, now, I'm not sure how that works. Are they just coming up to you and saying, hey, we're going back to back? Or are they talking to the owner and just getting themselves in there? I mean, that's a tricky situation. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that situation works. I mean, uh, I've had it happen that someone kind of... I don't want to say demanded, but kind of worked his way into my set to play back to back. Um, that was actually the organizer. And I'm calling it worked his way in because this was not prepared. I was just supposed to do a set. But I think he was feeling the vibe of the crowd. and was like, hey, and he also DJ. So he was like, hey, I want to get into this. And he was going to play after me. And he tried to switch that into, yo, let's play back to back and we'll just play together and, and add my time slot to it and do that entire set together. Um, I played along for the first part. Cool. But I could tell pretty quickly that we were not really matching style wise. So the next time I was playing my set and he wanted to come back in like, yo, I'm going to do a next set. I'm going to play this and that. I just said, uh, you know what? Let me just finish my time. And then afterwards, you can just do your set. 
So I could see the look in his eyes like he wasn't really liking it. But at the end of the day, I'm booked to play my set. If I choose to play my set, that's what I'm going to do. There's uh, No one's going to force me to go back to back if I'm not feeling it. Now, if you're a new DJ and we're talking about the established DJ, I can imagine that they're probably using their clout to maybe force you into something a little bit. Uh, I think you're going to have to try and fight back. Maybe not directly, but maybe just talk to the people booking you like, hey, I don't know if this is working. Uh, I think it, it works better when I do my set and he does his set. Um, but it's hard for me to comment on that. I've never been in that situation, and I can't really tell from your text how they're demanding to go back to back. So through you or through the through management. But as far as uh, protecting your brand, look, it, when you're playing your sets and people like it, you're representing you and... Um, that's that's you you are your brand what other djs do is not part of your brand now if someone's trying to train wreck your set by doing a back-to-back thing um yeah it could mess up the vibe at that moment but that should still not really affect your brand so if you're putting up content that showcases what you do so not just in the club but also like mixtapes online stuff like that so people can hear what you do that's your brand have video footage of little shots of you doing your thing Post those on IG. That's going to showcase what you do. You can build your brand. And uh, it's hard for me to, 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 to talk more about this, though. But let me just sum it up. Don't pay too much attention to what others are saying or feeling. And uh, do you. Just do you, man. That's what you're here for. Um, continue to grow. Continue to build your skills. Continue to expand your network. And if they're starting to give you better spots, it means that they like you and um, make sure you keep that good relationship with the people booking you. And like you said, there are a lot of DJs that are just embracing you. Just make sure you stay in good contact with those DJs. And if you feel that a certain DJ is not is, is hating you, so to say, then you don't want to deal with that DJ. And you don't have to. You don't have to like everyone. Everyone doesn't have to like you. Uh, that's not what this world is. It's not going to be one big happy place where it's all kumbaya and we all like each other. But you shouldn't pay too much attention to that. So I just want to add one reply that I see here. Uh, someone replied to your comment. And the reply is, good question, bro. I'm also going through the same thing at a spot that I've been spinning at for a few weeks now. And the DJ that was getting them gigs now feels some kind of weight. So, yeah, that happens. Well, I just ignore it. And don't fall into the trap. Just do you, and that's that. Let your skills do the talking for you. Eventually, he or she will get the picture and fall back. Exactly. Like I said, do you. Don't bother with what other people are saying. If they catch feelings, that's on them. What's your thoughts on leaving the DJ booth to do things like moonwalk? <laughs> oh, I love that question, man. Um, now, look. Obviously, well, maybe you actually have seen DJs walk out of the booth, the moonwalk, but it is a fact that a growing number of DJs feel the need to entertain the crowd in more ways than just playing music and even in more ways than just having that interaction with the crowd from behind the DJ booth. So where we had all these DJs either using a microphone to interact with the crowd or doing a lot of hand gestures to interact with the crowd. Now you see more and more DJs 
stepping on top of the DJ booth, standing on the table, standing on the booth, and DJs just grabbing a mic, playing a record, and getting in front of the DJ booth uh, right at the front part of the stage to interact with the crowd, make the crowd do dance moves, stuff like that. You see that more and more. If that works for you, I mean, I've seen plenty of footage where the crowd was definitely into it. So who am I to say that it's not okay, that a DJ should only be behind the DJ booth and the DJ should only let his or her hand speak and let the music speak and not do anything else? You're always going to have all sorts of DJs. Some DJs will just speak with their hands. That's the only thing they're going to do. They're going to play great music, and that's their thing. Then you're going to have DJs, like, for instance, the DJ Premier or Kate Capri, who have mastered the skill of rocking that microphone to command the crowd. So they got their DJ skills, but they combined that with using that microphone in a way when you hear DJ Premier or Kate Capri on that microphone, it's like they're talking straight into your into your soul. Like, ah, you're going to do this right now. Are you with me? You're like, ah, and then they play a banger. And I mean, that's their thing. Then you have DJs that step on top of the DJ booth. And when that drop comes in, they're jumping off. And then they're jumping with the people. And people feel that energy and like it. I'm like, cool, if that's your thing. That's your thing. Now, granted, some people don't like it because they see certain DJs and it's pretty obvious that they don't have a lot of talent when it comes to their actual DJ skills. And it's almost like a distraction, like they're doing all sorts of things that take away from the actual skill of DJing. I can understand that. But once again, at the end of the day, it's not up to me to judge that person if the crowd is feeling it it's not something i would do but i don't mind other djs doing it and i have to say i mean i have gigs where i've had stepped away from the dj booth just to walk to the front of the stage to address the crowd i, I was opening for some big act in a, like a giant stage like five thousand people and i wanted to hype them up a little bit more get them to the front of the stage because we were about to begin and i just started a track grabbed that mic ran to the front of the stage and just started to engage with the people to get them more involved and get them to step to the front. Um, and that works, but I feel most comfortable just playing my tracks and grabbing the mic from there. But if it works for you, if you wanna moonwalk between your sets, if you can't moonwalk, hey, look, if I was great at doing the moonwalk, I would put on that Michael Jackson every time and jump from behind the booth and moonwalk across that stage and then jump back into the booth and continue playing. I bet the crowd would love it. So I don't have issues with it. Phase DJ, what are your thoughts on this? Is it more for the scratch DJ or would it also be for the DJ that does long sets like over an hour? All right, first of all, a long set is not a set over an hour. If we're talking long sets, we're talking about three, four, five, six hours, but that's not the question. Uh, I've talked about phase uh, many times already. I think it's an absolute game changer. I love what I've seen. I'll be testing it uh, in the near future. And the main thing, of course, what I like about it is the fact that you don't have to use needles. You don't have to worry about dealing with faulty tone arms or needles in the clubs. And I still go through this even this weekend. I, I mean, yesterday when I was playing, um, I had to switch one needle out two times because I wasn't getting the right signal. And I mean, I'll fix it every time. I'll get it to work. 
But not having to go through that, just being able to just set up phase and play and not have to worry about needles, I'm all for it. Now, like I said, I still have to test it, but everything I've seen tells me that it performs really well. So is it just for the scratch DJ? No, definitely not. It's for all DJs. It's just DJing, but you don't have to worry about the needle anymore, but you still get that vinyl feel. So for anyone, so DJs like me who started to use Serato because I wanted to take advantage of the new tech, but I also wanted my vinyl feel, I started to use DVS and ended up with Serato. But I did not stick to turntables because I love the needle and I want to have that needle on the vinyl. I mean, some DJs really feel that they want that. I can, I can understand. I respect that. But for me, it's all about that vinyl feel. It's not about the needle feel. My hand is not touching the needle. It's the vinyl feel. And if I use phase, I still have my vinyl on the turntable. It's still spinning. I still get to touch it and move it. So I don't see how it would change my style of DJing um, because right now with Serato, I'm playing in relative mode. So what happens with the needle right now isn't relevant either. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's a game changer and uh, I'm excited to test it and start using it. Hey bro, how you doing? Thanks for all the knowledge over the years. Salute to you. Okay, so I've been DJing for four years now, and this year I'm getting more gigs in a lounge near my house. And I've been rocking the place, and the thing is, I use virtual DJ. I love it. And other DJs are pushing me to use Serato. I've both, but I'm comfortable with virtual DJ, and I just like it better. Should I make the switch or not? I just want to spin music. No, you should not switch. Do not listen to other DJs. You just said it yourself. You feel more comfortable with virtual DJ. Now, the reason those other DJs are trying to make you switch is probably because they're biased and they still feel that virtual DJ is for beginners, for amateurs, and Serato is the professional solution. When you can do probably everything and more with virtual DJ if you compare it to Serato. Use what you want to use at all times. Use what you want to use. So virtual DJ is your thing. You want to stick with virtual DJ. Stick with virtual DJ, man. Don't let what other people say affect your ability to perform. Just imagine if you switch to Serato when you feel less comfortable with Serato just because other DJs tell you to. Now, doesn't make sense. Stick with Virtual DJ. Now, look, it's always good to test other stuff. And like you said, you have Serato on Virtual DJ, so you were able to actually do the comparison. And you know which one you prefer. That's all you need to know. Virtual DJ, all day. TLM, please add more videos from your gigs to your YouTube channel. That would be one of the best ways to show how it's done. I had to do that because it's in all capital letters. Sorry for the capital letters, just wanted to make sure you didn't miss this. Now, trust me, I never miss anything when it comes to these IG topics because I post this a couple of hours before I record the show and then I read all of the comments, so I'm not missing. Now, sometimes I might not add a question because I've seen it but don't feel it needs to be added, um, but I definitely always see all of these questions. Yeah, I'll try to add more. I'll try to add more gig footage. We'll, uh, we'll see about that. Not sure yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. All right, next up, 
TLM, I practice every other day for about four hours. I'm trying to develop a better way of practicing, focusing on the techniques that need the most attention. How should I go about fine-tuning my skills? How should my practice schedule be looking? I have no real answer. Uh, I can totally not recall how this worked for me. I used to just practice for four, five, six, seven hours a day. And sometimes I would be scratching for hours. Sometimes I would be mixing for hours. Now, look, you want to start with the basics, of course. That's where you want to start. You want to learn how to count music. You want to learn how to beat match. Uh, you want to work on your timing. So starting at the right count, all of that stuff. That's all the basic, but it's very important. Work on working the EQ, you name it, learning your music. Once you got that down, you're going to find out soon enough which things need more attention, and then you're going to work on those things. So you'll still practice those basics every time you're practicing, every time you're working. So if it's mixing, then you're going to go through all the basics anyway. But those will become natural and you just start to pay more attention to the stuff that is not going as well yet. So if the beat matching is going fine, but the timing is not really working out, then you start to focus on timing. But you're going to practice that through mixing. And when you're mixing, you're also beat matching. So you're still practicing your beat matching, but that's already easy. So that's going to become easier every time you do it. But you're really focusing now on the things that still need more attention. That's my best answer when it comes to this. I never had like a specific schedule. And sometimes it was also about how I felt. Sometimes I just didn't feel like mixing. I just wanted to scratch, put on beats, start scratching. So time for the last question of episode 58. And the question is, have you ever tried any of the portableism turntables like the PT1 from Newmark? I have to honestly say I haven't. It's on my wish list. I was going to get a PT1. I am still getting a PT1 because I really like what I've seen with the portableism turntables. Now, I do have a QFO. It's not the same thing. I know I can't take that anywhere I want to go, but it was that all-in-one solution. I absolutely love that. But, of course, those portableism turntables are a lot smaller. I like what the community is doing, the portableism community. I've already seen crazy modifications, um, new things coming out that you can use for that, all sorts of vinyl, even Serato vinyl you can use for it. So I'm really, really liking what I see, and I haven't tested it, but I'm getting one. I just know I'll get one one and i'll be shooting some crazy footage with that in the future anywhere that's it for episode 58 of the share the knowledge podcast for djs i hope you enjoyed today's episode hope you enjoyed the info and i hope i was able to add some value to the dj community i'll be back with a new episode next monday and you can check the share the knowledge podcast everywhere itunes anchor soundcloud google Podcasts, spotify you name it i'm there now if you want to ask me questions for future episodes or maybe for a video clip on djtlm tv on youtube send your emails to djtlm tv at djtlm.com or check me out on social the handle is djtlm everywhere that's it for this episode i'll be back next monday until then peace and share the knowledge